The views in this do not necessarily reflect the views of WKNC, Student Media, or NCSU. You're listening to Eye on the Triangle on WKNC And welcome to this week's Eye on the Triangle. It's Tuesday, October 27th, and on behalf of the EOT team here at WKNC, I'd like to thank you for tuning in. I'm Ian Grice. And I'm Mirtha Donastorg. The North Carolina State Fair is a place covered with rides, games, attractions, and germs. Mirtha Donastorg finds out how you can go home with nothing more than good memories. Colleen Keenan-Ferguson interviews Carson Shepard about It's On Us campaign, which was founded last year to increase sexual assault awareness on campus. Jake Winters has a review of the album of the film Hidden, a horror thriller about an apocalyptic event in a small town, and Nick Weaver reviews the newest album from Sheer Mag, 11.7 Inch. And as always, Saif Hassan has the news beyond the headlines, and Peter Svizeni brings us the spooky community calendar. But first, a look at news in North Carolina. A new president has been found for the UNC system, which includes NC State and 16 other schools. Margaret Spellings was elected by the Board of Governors on Friday. Spellings was the secretary under George W. Bush and is currently president of the George W. Bush Presidential Center in Dallas. The selection process has been controversial since President Tom Ross announced his forced resignation in January. Spellings will start in March. Another shakeup in the system's Board of Governors. Chairman of the board, John Finnebresk, is stepping down, effective immediately. He has been serving on the board for eight years, the chairman for one year. Finnebresk announced in January Tom Ross's resignation, but offered no reason as to why he was leaving. He also led the controversial search for Ross's replacement. The current vice chairman of the Board of Governors, Lou Bisquet Jr., will be chairman until the board can elect a new leader. In the triad, an analysis of traffic stops in Greensboro has found a pattern of racial profiling. A New York, a New York Times article revealed that Greensboro police officers stop black drivers twice as often as white drivers. However, they are more often find contraband in cars of white drivers. The, de- the deputy chief of the Greensboro police said the numbers are disturbing but don't reflect day-to-day police practices. Over in the mountains, during an App State football game last Thursday, an ambulance was stolen. (coughs) Boone police found the abandoned ambulance shortly after the theft. They are offering a $1,000 reward for information about the person responsible. And up next, Saif Hassan has the news beyond the headlines.
Hassan, and this is Rus Beyond the Headlines. Islamic State militants have killed three captives in Syria's ancient city of Palmyra by tying them to columns and blowing them up, activists say. The identities of those people killed on Sunday have yet to be given. They are thought to be the first to have been killed in that way since the jihadist group seized the ruins in May. The Islamic State has destroyed two 2,000-year-old temples and arch and funerary towers in Palmyra, one of the most important cultural centers of the ancient world. The group believes that such structures encourage idol worship, which goes against Islam. The UN Cultural Agency, UNESCO, has condemned the destruction as a war crime. The Syrian Observatory for Human Rights, a UK-based group that monitors the conflict in Syria, cited local sources in Palmyra as saying that on Sunday, Islamic State militants tied three detainees to Roman-era columns and then blew up the structures with explosives. An activist from Palmyra, Khalid Al-Homsi, said the IS had yet to tell the locals the identities of the three individuals or say why they had been killed. Another activist claims the Islamic State is doing this for the media attention. After overrunning the ruins of Palmyra and the adjoining modern town, also known as Tadmor, IS militants used the ancient theater for the killing of 25 Syrian soldiers. They also beheaded archaeologist Khalid al-Assad, who looked after ruins for 40 years after he reportedly refused to reveal where the artifacts had been hidden. Earlier this week, IS posted images online purportedly showing militants driving a tank over a captured soldier. Two French pilots who were sentenced by a court in the Dominican Republic to serve 20 years in prison have fled the country. Pascal Faure and Bruno Odos were arrested in 2013 in the Dominican resort of Punta Cana. Police say their plane was carrying 26 suitcases stuffed with 1,500 pounds of cocaine. The two pilots and two other Frenchmen on board were found guilty of drug trafficking. They denied the charges. According to the French news channel BMF-TV, the pilots had previously worked for the French Navy and were helped by former intelligence agents to leave the Dominican Republic. The channel said that the ex-intelligence agents helped the pilots, who were under house arrest, reach a boat off the Dominican coast. From there, they were sailed to the French Antilles and flew to Paris. The French government said it had nothing to do with their escape. The pilot's lawyer, Jean Reinhardt, told the AFP news agency that Foray and Odos had returned to France not to flee justice, but to seek justice. Mr. Reinhardt said the two were not escapees, as they had not escaped from jail. They had been barred from leaving the country, but had not been sent to prison because they were appealing against their convictions, according to Mr. Reinhardt. He said that Foray and Odos had contacted the French magistrate in charge of their case and were keen to clear their name. Foray and Odos, along with Nicolas Pisapia and Alain Castani, were about to leave the Dominican Republic on board a Dassault Falcon 50 jet when the suitcases full of cocaine were discovered on board. Six months after the four were arrested, 22 people were detained over a massive cocaine haul found on an Air France flight from the Venezuelan capital, Caracas, to Paris. I'm Saif Hassan, and this has been your News Beyond the Headlines. Mir at the Donna Store finds out how you can go home with nothing more than a good, with good memories. While the North Carolina State Fair is a place covered with rides, games, and attractions, and germs. Veronica is the mother of two young kids. I met them in the rabbit barn. This is their first time at the state fair. came because of the animals and the food. I brought my own sanitizer. So when we see the animals, you know, to keep the kids healthy. That's something people know. To stay healthy, wash your hands. Reminders are everywhere. 
A few steps to the left of the rabbit barn are the pony rides. After announcing to the buckaroos a $10 price tag for a ride, picture, and hat, the announcer reminds everyone to wash their hands after the ride. And yet, four years ago, there was an E. coli outbreak at the fair. 27 people got sick. After the outbreak, things changed. Spokesman for the fair, Brian Long. We took a, a very, very serious look at, at the way that our livestock were positioned in the livestock buildings. What we've tried to do is make sure that we've eliminated as much as possible those opportunities for people and animals, you know, to travel common ground. The North Carolina Department of Health and Human Services found that the Kelly Building was the source, one of the main livestock buildings. We recognize that there's always, you know, going to be some risk of a person transmitting something to an animal or some, an animal transmitting something to a person. What we try to do is is mitigate that as much as we possibly can. Try to keep your hands clean and don't go home with anything other than some good memories and maybe a few souvenirs. Someone going home with just souvenirs is Veronica and her daughter, Janelise. How old are you? Six, seven. What did you do after you pet the rabbits? Wash my hands, because I want to be healthy. When it comes down to it, the best way to stay healthy at a place more than one million people visit is to wash your hands. In Raleigh, I'm Eartha Donastorg. Colleen Keenan-Ferguson interviews Carson Shepard about the It's On Us campaign, which was founded last year to increase sexual assault awareness on campus. Listen to find out more. I was able to talk with Miss Carson Shepard, a senior studying political science and the chief of staff for NC State student government about It's On Us, a program she helped facilitate at NC State about a year ago. The White House created a special task force about sexual assaults on college campuses and how to address it. They sent larger colleges information on getting involved, and NC State was one of those colleges. How prevalent is sexual assaults and, to a larger extent, rape culture at NC State? kind of specifically, college campuses more generally? Yeah, college campuses clearly have a problem with sexual assault because one in five women in college will get sexually assaulted. That's just a really awful statistic. Like, one in five, like, how many girls are in each class you're in? There's so many girls. And then 80% of all sexual assaults happen between two people that know each other. And the rape culture tends to point towards the... Viewing of a rapist as someone you don't know, someone faceless, someone in a white van that will drug you and kidnap you, but it's really the person sitting next to you in class or with you at a party or riding the bus with you. You go to orientation and they tell you not to walk alone and they tell you not to drink. They tell you to carry pepper spray and a knife to fend off sexual assault when we're really not telling people not to sexually assault people, and that's the problem. How is consent defined within the movement? Yeah, I mean, consent at its most general form is yes means yes, no means no. Nothing else means yes, only yes. 
you can even tell in the tone of some people's voice that yes means no. I'm just feeling the situation knowing that if someone can't consent, that it is sexual assault. And knowing that if they feel uncomfortable, it's sexual assault. And even if it's your girlfriend or boyfriend, it's sexual assault. Um, It's just really important to recognize all the things that encompass sexual assault. Because so many people just think that it's um, kind of a random act. But it's really more interpersonal between people that know each other. I think another important thing for that a lot of people don't know if they are the victim of sexual assault is that you can also take away your consent at any time just because you start kissing someone or flirting with them doesn't mean you're giving them consent to go all the way oh yeah like consent is very personal it's not something that you give to someone and they don't give it back to you i think consent can also be easily assumed by people like oh, I'm dating this person, I know them, they're my friend, they're obviously flirting with me, so I'm just going to do whatever I want. And no, that's that's sexual assault. That's a part of rape culture. And it's something that needs to change. Have you seen any changes on campus or in student government in the treatment of sexual assault since It's On Us was started? I've seen a huge change just in how people on campus have received it. It's not talking about what the girl was doing or where she was or how she was dressed. It's talking about who did this and how can we stop it. It sounds like it's been less of a victim-blaming process and more of a dialogue that goes on between students. What have been some of the difficulties of the It's On Us campaign? I feel like people have a hard time admitting that there's a problem. Universities are always painted as these perfect utopias of learning and openness But the thing is, so many women and men and people of color and transgender people and gay people are getting raped. But people are trying to cover it up because the university system is also a profit-making system. And it's also, it's hard, it's hard to say why, but there's so many reasons as to why they would want to cover up rapes. But at NC State, we really do have a good administration that's extremely receptive to the ideas of students. And especially that it's on us because it's so prevalent at all colleges. Why do you think such a large number of sexual assaults go unreported on college campuses? I feel like a lot of people are scared of reliving their sexual assault. They're scared of retaliation. They're scared of what people will think of them, what people will tell them. They're scared of telling their parents, their friends. They feel like they'll be judged. Which is true. People are going to judge you if you say you're going to get raped, and that's part of the problem. Everyone should feel comfortable bringing it to someone who can help you, whether it's a police officer or a counselor or one of your friends. And I'm really glad that we've worked on this because I've seen just like an outpouring of people who won't judge you when it happens at NC State. Do you think it's important for survivors of sexual assault to report their crimes to the police? I think it's very important to report crimes. I totally understand being scared to tell someone, being scared to admit that you were sexually assaulted because there's such a large stigma around it. But when you think about the other people that are getting sexually assaulted on campus, it really brings it full circle. Um, When you report it, the system of reporting gets better, it gets more accurate, and everyone can feel more encouraged to get help. When someone gets a wolf alert text saying that someone was sexually assaulted, it it gets you thinking. I mean, it's not a good thing, but it gets your mind moving. 
and it really brings light to the situation on campus. Sex-based violence is a problem for all kinds of communities. Men experience sex-based violence, women do. It's not just a heterosexual thing. It's um, something that can affect anyone regardless of their gender or gender expression. Sometimes it's hard to feel alone on this campus because there's so many people. And sometimes that's a good thing because you need people to support you. There's so many services that can help people that are in need of help. And there's so many people that want to help. And there's so many people that can. Sometimes you can't feel safe walking down the street at night. So if that happens to someone here, they know that they can report it. They have resources. And those are the Student Health Center, the Counseling Center. RAs are actually trained to deal with rape crises as certified campus partners. The Women's Center, which has a specific rape crisis prevention hotline and a counselor. The GLBT Center, the Multicultural Students Association, and anyone in student government. Or anyone with a heart at NC State. My name is Carson Shepard, and when I'm not advocating for sexual assault awareness and prevention, I'm listening to WPNC Hello and welcome once again to my review show thing. I'm pleased to announce it finally has a name. From here on out, the show will be called The Modest Mouth Review. Originally, I was like, oh, God, that's stupid. No, don't call it that. But the name grew on me, so now I'm keeping it. So without further ado, this is the Modest Mouth Review featuring your host, Nick Weaver, with Eye on the Triangle. Give it some time. It'll grow on you. Today, I'm back to my usual stylings of album reviews with some sheer mags, specifically their EP from April called 11 7 Inch. I think that's how you pronounce it anyways. This one was actually a recommendation from a friend, so I guess it counts as our first recommendation on the show. Yay! Anyways, this group is lo-fi, which is much closer to my usual stylings than Electro Swing. Now, what do I know about Sheer Mag? Jack crap. I listened to their EP and their first one, which I think was just titled Sheer Mag, and that's it. I think they performed at Guilford College a week ago in Greensboro, and uh, they're originally from Philly. That's it. So you get to be spared from my fascination with music trivia today. Go you! I suppose then I'll just get right down to it. The first song on this EP is Fan the Flames. This song is really upbeat kind of pop rock lo-fi, which is totally awesome because I've never heard something quite that specific before. When I say these guys are lo-fi, I mean they are straight up legit lo-fi. Not like Waves' latest album kind of lo-fi, I mean every single track is drenched in distortion and peaks constantly. Despite this, one of the ways that the band really shines is that the distortion is tactfully applied so that you can hear what's going on. Sure, the drums and bass are drowned out a bit, but you can hear the vocals and guitar distinct from each other. And the whole thing manages not to be a garbled mess, which is leagues above others in this genre. It's smart production, and also the first thing I noticed about this EP. So fan the flames. First track, like I said, pop rock lo-fi. This song sounds like Jackson 5 on psychedelic drugs is honestly the first thing that comes to my mind when I hear it, and immediately I love it. It has a strong chorus, the vocals shine through spectacularly with power and passion, and the whole song is just incredibly unique. The guitar is different from other groups in this genre in that instead of being riff-heavy, it's got a twangy, improv-based feel to it. Most of the guitar sounds like it's just doing its own thing alongside the singer. It's different and still catchy, and I appreciate that. Of course, that's not to say it's definitely better than riff-based guitar tracks, but I personally like it a lot. Did I mention I really like the way these tracks peak? Because this track does it especially well. Peaking. Aw man, that needs to be like some douchey lo-fi connoisseur's term. Like, 
Oh yes, Rupert Williams Trash IV. This track peaks quite exquisitely. Cheerio. I love it. Let the punk hipsters take that one. Anyways, good track. On to the next one. The next track is called Traveling On, and it's a lot harsher than the last one. It's like they actually jumped to an entirely different subgenre between songs from pop rock lo-fi to punk rock lo-fi. This track is almost jagged in the way that it sounds, if that makes any sense. Just, in general, more aggressive than the last one. The vocals are pointed and the guitar is erratic. The vocals are almost strained, which is funny to me, because while listening I had no idea what the singer was saying, so I thought it was an angry song, but as it turns out, it's legit just about being a rambler. At any rate, I really like this song. There are these cool little guitar interruptions, quotation marks because I don't really know what to call them, that come in almost completely free of distortion and shake the whole thing up. Probably the second best song in the album, funny enough. It's kind of a rhythmic in the way that the beat goes on, and the guitar is almost impossible to properly dissect. This kind of complex songwriting gives the track staying power and just overall makes it stand out. The third track is called Whose Side Are You On? I have less to say about this, particularly because it's so much simpler than the other songs. I think it's really best to think of this track as sort of a guitar interlude or showcase between tracks. The guitar is really the part that you should appreciate here. It's got kind of that built-to-spill sound to it in that it rambles on and has that twangy sound of the first song. It's free-spirited and does what it wants to, not just complimenting the singer, but making its own way throughout the song, like one long solo almost. This track is actually kind of angsty, but it's still got that pop rock feel to it. It's actually like the perfect mix of pop rock and punk rock, making it pop punk rock lo-fi. That might actually be my new favorite subgenre. Anywho, it's just a really interesting track. This one and the next one actually give me sort of a Pat Benatar mixed with Fiddler vibe, which is just wonderful in and of itself. I think it's supposed to be a love song, but I honestly have no idea, so on to the next track we go. This is the last song on the EP, and its name is Button Up. Continuing in the new mix of pop and punk established in track 3, Button Up brings back more of the strong, aggressive vocals of track 2 while adding some smooth, chilled-out guitar beneath all the distortion, creating a really unique dissonance that I absolutely adore. This track may be tied for second or first place on that EP now that I think about it. It's the perfect closer track with just the right amount of angst. With that, I'll move on to my final thoughts on the EP. Going by what I've said already, you can probably already tell that I have a joyful fascination with this little ditty. And what's more, I genuinely enjoyed listening to it. It's not perfect, don't get me wrong. The drums are kind of boring and samey same, the bass is inaudible if it is there, and the songs are lacking a certain amount of orchestration. But I think all of that can be excused given the fact that this is only the band's second EP, without even a first album. Sheer Mag should be proud of their ability to create confident-sounding lo-fi and moderately original garage rock revival. Do I see this band getting big? No. They're niche, and that's probably going to stay that way. But for that niche audience, I wouldn't be surprised if they started making huge waves before too long. <laughs> waves. Get it? I'll show myself out. Before closing out, I'll say that my biggest real complaint with the EP was the order of the tracks. It kind of wound down as it went on, which I feel is kind of a no-no for any album unless you're really going for a strong emotional appeal. If you ask me, the order should have been track 2, then 4, 3, and 1. Save your strongest for last if you're going to go hard all the way through. But it's not too big of a deal. This band has a really great sound and an awesome aesthetic, so they shouldn't worry too much. For their first album, they'll need to work on their background instrumentation. Right now, the vocals and guitar are carrying the rest of the band, and that's probably going to have to change if they want their sound to evolve. That said, I think right now they've got a pretty good thing going. As we close out, I've been Nick, though I'm also known as Klesk, Linz, Meerkat, or just that dude who can't dress himself properly in public. I'm less fond of that last one. For my final rating on a scale of negative 2 to 7, I give this EP a solid 5.5. It is a strong second EP, and I look forward to seeing what they'll do in the future. You can find this EP on YouTube, I think, though it's definitely preferred that you buy it on Bandcamp. That's Sheer Mag, S-H-E-E-R-M-A-G. 
11 7 inch. I recommend this album to anyone who likes garage rock and lo-fi. As for me, you can send me suggestions for what to review by emailing publicaffairs at wknc.org. Include review recommendation in the subject line, and I'll hopefully see it before too long. Thanks again for listening in, and I'll speak to you all again next time. This is Jake Winters, and today I will be giving my review of the film Hidden. Hidden is a movie that takes a horror film and turns it upside down. A family is hiding within a fallout shelter with for no apparent reason at the beginning of the movie, and slowly, as we see more and more flashbacks from the three main actors, the apocalyptic event is revealed to the viewer. Essentially, this movie takes on the genre of zombie apocalypse in a brand new way, showing the viewer a place that is not usually seen in these kinds of films. Many times the people in zombie films will outright try to fight the zombies. Instead in this film, as the name implies, the family hides from the breathers. The use of this name is particularly interesting. A breather is something that could be used to describe almost anything alive. So why this instead of similar titles for the dead such as walkers and biters? This is answered by the film later on and is a great use of foreshadowing to the ending. In general terms, this movie can be classified as both a thriller and a horror film. It builds suspense in a spectacular way, utilizing both its music and dramatic scenery effectively. The curtain that is used as a door in the shelter is made terrifying more than once. Seeing the view of this hallway in first person fully immerses you into the situation. You try to see what is in the next room, and when the curtain is pulled back you want to look away. There are many jump scares throughout the movie, and if you don't like them, like me, you'll be plenty scared. Along with the jump scares, the setting of Hidden is extremely creepy. The family lives in a 1940s bomb shelter behind an elementary school, and frankly, that is enough to put me off. The little girl carries around a doll that falls into the uncanny valley, and while this use of prop seems out of place in a film set in modern times, the use of it is later explained, redeeming the seemingly overtly creepy prop's use. The character development in the film is engaging, and the actors filled their parts spectacularly. The mom continues to teach her daughter while the father tries to keep the family alive. The father holds this group together, He solves the problems at hand and essentially why the family has been kept alive. He isn't just a hero character. You can see the stress of the situation written all over his face. This is where the actor, Alexander Skarsgård, did an amazing job. The mother, played by Andrea Riseborough, who has acted in many A-list films, also did a wonderful job of filling her character's role. The father is obviously favorited by the daughter in the film, so while the relationship between daughter and mother is loving, there is some amount of resentment on both sides. This delicate relationship is great to watch as events unfold. The daughter is the main focus of the movie. This makes sense because the primary concern of any parent is the well-being of their child, especially when that child is the only thing left in the world you have to protect besides your own life. The daughter is played by Emily Allen Lind, another seasoned actor. While her acting is somewhat overdone at times, it does not throw off the film. The loving scenes between father and daughter are a great example of why this film has such great acting. He closes her eyes with his fingers and transports her to a separate reality. The one they lived in before the apocalypse. The parents try to maintain the innocence of the daughter, and she only fights this as any child would. Along with the will to survive ever present in this film is a sense of impending doom. They are running out of food, and where will they go when this happens is an ominous and looming question. 
They never go outside, and one of the main rules is to never leave the fallout shelter. The way this plays out is what makes the plot fantastic. The solution to this is both clever and extremely surprising. I found myself thinking that this was just an everyday thriller slash horror movie placed in an apocalyptic world which has been done many times for most of the film. When the climax of the film is reached, my opinion flipped. The climax shows the reason they hide and why they can never leave. It answers all the questions posed by the exposition, making an extremely satisfying ending. I felt myself hoping the film would continue, and after an hour and a half of movie, this is saying something. Without saying too much about the ending, I will say this. The sequel to Hidden would be far different from itself. This movie does a great job of changing the way zombie films are made. It starts out similarly to many movies that have come before, and it does a great job of changing how they can be looked at. I felt that this movie was extremely clever. I was on the edge of my seat as I watched the family struggle through the emotional and physical struggles of living underground, and while I usually do not like thrillers or horror movies, I genuinely enjoyed the story of this film. You can rent this movie on Amazon Prime or pick it up in a red box, and it would be great to watch it now, as it fits the season. Thank you for tuning into this week's movie review. Feel free to send any suggestions or comments to the email address publicaffairs at wknc.org. I am always glad to hear feedback and opinions. This is Jake Winters for Eye on the Triangle. Have a good night. out there. My name is Peter Spazzetti, and I'm bringing you the Community Calendar, an Eye on the Triangle segment informing you of cool events happening on campus or around the Raleigh-Durham area. So this week's going to be very busy. We have the homecoming football game along with all the events this week and Halloween's this Saturday night. So there's going to be the Hillsborough hike. Just stay tuned and hear what's going on around campus. First up on the list is an event hosted by the Union Activities Board. This is called Scream on the Green, occurring from 8 to 11 tonight in front of the Thompson J. Stafford Commons. Go out and bring a blanket or a chair to their annual Scream on the Green, featuring Wes Craven's A Nightmare on Elm Street. Dress in your Halloween costume for their photo booth. Enjoy free popcorn, hot chocolate, and candy. Again, this event is sponsored by the Union Activities Board Films Committee. Going on from 8 to 11 Tuesday night in front of the Thompson J. Stafford Commons. Now, if you're a hungry NCSU student, I have the event for you. Going on from Wednesday to Friday... There will be an event called Wear Red, Get Fed from 11 a.m. until the food runs out in the brickyard. And all you have to do is show your support for NCSU by wearing red. While this is going on, there will be a philanthropy event in the brickyard as well. This is called Penny Wars. Penny Wars mixes philanthropy and competition. So support your favorite spirit team by giving your pennies while ultimately supporting student experiences at NC State. This event will be from 11 to 1. Later that Wednesday evening from 7 to 10 in the McKimmon Center will be an event called NC Sync. NC Sync will feature performers from group spirit organizations who will lip sing your favorite 90s songs or 90s mashups. Organizations will be judged for creativity, costumes, props, background, music, incorporation of 90s theme, and overall presentation. Again, this is at the McKimmon Center from 7 to 10 Wednesday night. Looking on to Thursday, October 29th, Do You Bleed Wolfpack Red? Show your NC State school spirit by donating blood during the homecoming blood drive from 9 to 2.30 at the Tally Student Union Mountains Piedmont Room. Also going on at 9 that morning is the new student sidewalk chalk competition held at the Stanford Common Sidewalks. 
Are you a first-year or new transfer student at NC State? Grab up to three friends and sign up for the new Student Sidewalk Chalk Competition sponsored by New Student Programs. The team who best depicts what makes NC State home will win a prize package including the three-course meal at the Tally Student Union's new 1887 restaurant for each team member and a free homecoming t-shirt. You can register by contacting NCSU Homecoming at ncsu.edu. So after simultaneously competing in a sidewalk chalk competition and donating blood, don't forget about the event going on in the Brickyard. Wear red, get fed. Goes on from 11 a.m. until the food runs out. And later that Thursday evening, there will be a Monster Dash on Centennial Campus. Monster Dash is a Halloween-themed obstacle race for teams of four. Runners will scale piles of hay, low crawl fields of nets, and paddle on Lake Raleigh during the 5K race. Halloween costumes are encouraged. You may register to NCSU Homecoming at ncsu.edu. This Monster Dash event will be from 6 to 7 that Thursday evening on Centennial Campus. And to conclude our homecoming week, this Friday, October 30th, will be a ton of events held by the engineering department. The Department of Electrical and Computer Engineering will be holding their open house this Friday from 10 a.m. to 11.30 p.m. And during that afternoon from 12.30 to 1.30 in the Tally Student Center Mountains Ballroom, they'll be holding their inaugural Hall of Fame lunch to honor their department's most distinguished alumni. The Material Science and Engineering Department will be hosting their open house this Friday from 12.30 p.m. to 1.45 p.m. in the Engineering One Atrium. The Department of Mechanical and Aerospace Engineering will be providing tours of Engineering Building 3 from 9 a.m. to 10.30 a.m. that Friday morning. Finally, the Civil Construction and Environmental Department will be holding their homecoming luncheon to honor donors of the CCEE Enhancement Fund from 11.30 a.m to 1.30 p.m. in Mann Hall, room 323. So now about that last look at Harrelson Hall. You may register to join the Wake County Alumni Network as they tour and say farewell to the iconic campus landmark. This tour will be going on at 4.30 p.m. May register by emailing barbara.day at bentley.com. The Poole College of Management and the College of Humanities and Social Sciences are teaming up this year to host the 12th annual Homecoming Porch Party from 4.30 to 7 at Nelson Hall that Friday night. Campus Life will be hosting this year's NC State Homecoming Parade starting at 6 p.m. on Hillsborough Street. Join them to celebrate the campus clubs, local organizations, sororities, fraternities, bands, and VIPs as they march down Hillsborough Street to pump up the pack. Their guests of honor will be the NC State's head football coach and football team captains. Bring your friends and families to line the streets. And let's not forget the whole reason we're having these events this week. This Saturday at 3.30 will be the homecoming football game at the Carter-Finley Stadium. Come out and cheer on the pack as they take on Clemson University in the Textile Bowl. So that concludes this week's community calendar. Hope you enjoy all of the homecoming events, the football game, and the holiday coming up ahead. This has been the community calendar brought to you by Peter Swazeni.
Happy early Halloween. Uh, so what are you going for as Halloween, Mirtha? I don't know. I'm still trying to decide between two costumes. Either Amy Winehouse, because she's awesome, or Judith Beheading Holifernes by Gustav Klimt. I kind of want to embody this painting. I am not sure how to pull that off, but what are you going as, Ian? Well, I just want to take a a moment to talk about my roommate's uh, costume that he went to for Design Bash uh, for... On Saturday? I think it was last Saturday. Um, He went as the ISS, so... The International Space Station? He did. He went as the International Space Station. And uh, that is my DJ co-host when, oh, when yeah. we uh, when we do our our DJ show Wednesdays three to four. But um, <laughs> this year I want to go as a band. I want to go as Chastity Belt. Um, I know a lot of other people around the radio station are also going as bands, but I think that's going to be a fun one. How how are you going to be Chastity Belt? Well, I'm gonna. I'm gonna put on, put on a chastity belt. <laughs> As always, if you heard anything you liked, you hated, or anything that made you think, let us know and tweet at tweet at us at WKNC underscore EOT, where you can also catch up on more local news. And be sure to check out our blog at blog.wknc.org, where you can also <coughs> download our podcast. After Hours with L Dub and Snooze is up next at eight. And you can catch another episode of Eye on the Triangle next week right here on WKNC. For Eye on the Triangle, I'm Yertha Donastorg. And I'm Ian Grice. Have a happy Halloween. <laughs>